you have been, if you have uh, given it all to Exodus, you'll have one of these. Chris Marlin right here in the gray will be back by the Boys and Girls Club sign. Uh, and if you're here, we'd like just to grab it to kind of save us postage, but if it'll have your name on it. So if you've given Exodus at all this year, you'll have one. Um, but again, that's just what the IRS requires us to do, but we do it without malice or anything because we want to encourage you in your giving. But this is, uh, so after the service, uh, go over there and grab those. Uh, Chris won't know who all of you are, so you must tell him your name, and he's got them in alphabetical order, and he'll figure it out. So, um, anyway, too. I've got, just so you know, too, I've, I've got my cell phone up here because I have a clock on it. I'm not up here texting or reading emails. And the reason I say that is I listened on the radio this week, and somebody was at a church service where, in the middle of the sermon, the pastor got a text, answered the text, put it down, and then finished his sermon. So, yeah, yes. Talk about socially awkward. I won't do that. Neither will Dan. We'll tell you that up front, okay? Um, but I just thought that was amazing. When I heard that, I was like, I can't believe that. And, they, and of course, actually, it was a special speaker. And the pastor said they never invited him back again. They never will invite him back again. So anyway, so that's all. Let me pray, and then we're going to uh, look into God's word this morning. Um, God, we've, uh, we do believe in the invisible world. And even when we were singing earlier, we weren't just singing songs that bounce off the physical parts of this building and into our ears. We believe there's something else going on when we gather. Um, otherwise, we, all we do is some moralistic, ethical kind of religion which doesn't give life. But we believe in your Holy Spirit. We believe he's present and active right now in this time and place. And we believe for those of us who, is op- who opened our hearts to Jesus, he is present and active inside of us. And for those here this morning who have not yet opened their hearts to Jesus, your Holy Spirit is present all around them and speaking to them clearly and tenderly and compassionately. And so, God, for all of us, would you give us ears to hear uh, what your Holy Spirit is trying to say to us? Because we want to be the kind of women and men you've designed us to be, and that is full of life and power that come from you. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Like Dan said, I'm starting a series on uh, marriage, and I'm just going to give you a little bit of a... uh, Oh, the six months before Kathy and I got married kind of story, because I want to kind of get a sense of, of uh, how we all look about marriage. I think our story is not unlike some of your stories, all right? I'm not, maybe not details, but um, I, can, I can remember first date with Kathy. I can remember the first time I kissed her. I can remember what her perfume smelled like. It was intoxicating. And all of a sudden you get this sense of, wow, this is what marriage, wow, this is just, and you have this romantic, it's legitimate romantic kind of wow and then we you know we started we started dating more we hung out more we started you know conversations i remember one conversation we had about prayer seriously it was one of the ones that made me convinced i wanted to marry because we were really arguing with each other about whether prayer does anything now that for a dating talk but i remember thinking i want to marry this woman i want to spend the rest of my life with her i love her i think she's beautiful emotionally spiritually and then uh then we got engaged and the night of our, we got engaged, I actually sent her on a, on a uh, scavenger hunt here in Bloomington. I had a videotape, I had stuff hidden at the library at IU, I had all over the place. And I sent her all over the place, and it was going to end up in what was in my apartment here in Bloomington. And I remember, I was all excited to put it all together, yeah, yeah. And I remember once I sent her on the chase, I knew it would be about a half hour until she came back to my apartment where I had the ring. And I was, gonna, I was hiding in my apartment, so I thought, I'm have her come into my apartment, and she won't know where I am, and... I don't know why I did that, but <laughs> but I remember laying on the floor beside my bed, and all of a sudden, overwhelmed with, oh my God, what am I doing? 
I've started something I can't stop. <laughs> and I, really, I was panicking because I thought, do I really want to give up me for us? I remember this. Like it were yesterday, I feel differently now. But I remember that. I was like, do, do I, do I want to do this? Because I knew... There's a, you, you know there's all the romance and the wow, but you also know there's a cost here. I can't be me anymore. And then over the next few months, you know, we have this argument about how often you should replace your toothbrush. And you could guess on which side I'm on, right? And I remember thinking to myself, do I really want to do this? I want to keep my toothbrush for five years. All right? I don't, I don't want... I don't want to replace it every two days or whatever. I'm exaggerating. She didn't say that. All right. And then we had an argument about how our, who was going to play the music at our reception. And, and I'm thinking, what am I getting into? I still had kind of the wow, but the wow was being flavored by, oh. And it's kind of like, what? Of course we got married. And, uh. But that story probably is not unlike a lot of your stories, maybe not of your engagement, of your whole marriage. And tonight, today we're starting a series, and I'm calling it this. I'm calling it uh, dangerous, a dangerous intimacy. Because there's this intimacy, this oneness, this togetherness, this love, romance, together, companionship. And it's like, wow, it's what we all want. But there's a danger involved. And I don't mean danger like, oh, the physical danger. It's, it's the emotional and spiritual danger because you start to realize if it's going to work, you have to die. And God will mess with your heart. He'll challenge you. He'll push you. He'll stretch you. And he'll do it through your spouse. And you're like, why can't I just be me? I like me who I am. Why do I have to marry this person that's different than me who... And why do I have to change? I like me. So it's a, you know, the more intimate you get in your marriage, and by that I'm not just talking about physical intimacy, I'm talking about the emotional, the spiritual unity and the oneness that is really part of the wow that God planned as part of marriage. And it is a big wow. Marriage is God's idea, was God's, one of his greatest ideas. And it was like, wow. But once you get into it, you think, oh, this is harder than I thought. Now, some of you here, Many are married. Many of you uh, are not married. You're single. Maybe you're divorced. You had a painful marriage. So I'm not just talking to married people today because marriage at its core is a relational thing. So if you're a teenager, you're a college student, you're not married, you've, or you're an older single person, you've been divorced and have a lot of and pain. And what I'm going to talk about over the next six, six weeks or so really is really some relational stuff, but it's specific to what God says about marriage. Um, because I know for a fact there are people here who would say their marriage is not all it should be, and I know that's a fact because I'm one of them, all right? And I know people that are married. Nobody would say, our marriage is awesome. You might say that after a week, all right? And the honeymoon's over, but the rest of us, it's interesting, I uh, often I'll ask, you know, yeah, the older, the more people have been married, the lower they rank their happiness sometimes, but not, not in a bad way, but... So what we're going to, yeah, I'll shut up. I'll shut up on that one. I don't mean that. All right. So it's, it's an intimacy that we all crave. It's a companionship. It's a way that God made us, 
and I'm completely around that. I'm not saying if you don't get married, you're not doing what God's saying. But I'm saying there's an intimacy, there's a togetherness that God designed that's to show something. It's more than just about the marriage. It's something else, and we'll talk about that. But there's a lot of danger involved because it means you will hit obstacles. You, your heart will get bumped, stretched, and you will have to at times die for the sake of the other. You have to. Now to do this, what we're going to look at is uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Go to the next slide here. Uh, Ephesians essentially was a letter that Paul, who was a leader in the early church, Paul wrote to the Christians in the, in the city of Ephesus, which is now uh, in modern day Turkey. Paul was, anybody know where Paul was when he wrote it? Prison. All right, so he's in prison. We don't know if Paul was married or not. We, there's no, we, don't, we don't have any evidence. But he was obviously aware of what was going on in marriages and lives. And obviously he was filled with the spirit of God in terms of what he's writing. But he's writing to the Christians in the city of Ephesus. So they're everyday ordinary people, no different than you and I, who are living in a culture that tells us all kinds of other things about marriage that don't match up with what God says about marriage. So they're no different than we are. They're just a couple thousand years removed from us. So Paul's writing to these people in Ephesus. And what's interesting with the book of Ephesians, and it's a, we call it the book of Ephesians, but it's a letter. So it's a long letter. We just call it a book. Is that uh, this pa- passage of mar- on marriage is chapter 5. But before that, Paul's talking about, he's talking about the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. Because at that point, Jewish people were in, the Gentiles were kind of out or different. And Paul's telling them, no, no, no God's opened the door for both. And he's talking about language like, and God removed the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. He's bringing peace between people who once thought they could not have peaceful union with one another. He's saying all that. And it's, wow, there can be peace and God can break down those walls of hostility. That's the phrase used, the walls of hostility. In the end of the book of Ephesians, he talks about the attacks of the evil one, how Satan wants to trip us up and mess us up. And right in the middle, he talks about marriage. So it's, it's, it's not just out of the blue. He's kind of correlating with, look how God can kind of remove hostility between Jew and Gentile. Look how he can bring peace to people who thought that was not possible, who can bring peace with God who we thought it was not possible and peace with one another. And then he's like, okay, now let me talk about marriage. So wall of hostility, anybody relate to that in your marriage? All right, not any different. So Paul's, it's interesting how he has these themes going. And here's where, I'm just gonna read, we'll read chapter five. We're just going to read it. We're not, or chapter, actually go to the next one. That's, that's, that's the one we start off. Yes, this is it. Chapter five. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read this one part. I'm not going to talk about all of this today. Today's kind of a broader intro, but over the next few weeks, we'll be hitting on some of these phrases, all right? Paul starts off in Ephesians five, uh, actually in, in this part of the passage. Further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's kind of the overarching Phrase. That's the umbrella that covers men and women both. Submit to one another out of your reverence and your awe and the wonder of what God's done in your life. All right? And he says, wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Next slide. Now you'll notice I put 21 up here again. Because, again, that's the overarching grammatical f- over umbrella of this whole passage. So the way that husbands show our submission to one another, the reverence for Christ, is what Paul says here. Husbands, this means you have to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. 
to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. Now, stop her just briefly, and we'll talk about this more later. This was a radical thing to say into the culture of the day, that day. Because the culture of that day, women were property, and it was means to advance yourself socially or financially. So for Paul to tell the husbands their role was to sacrificially serve their wife's well-being was radically different than what the culture had been telling them. All right? Here we go. Keep going. Uh, and it's the same, same thing. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. And then he finishes up. Uh, next slide. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. It comes from Genesis, one of the early chapters of Genesis, right from the beginning when and God initiated this idea of marriage. A man leaves his father and mother and he's joined to his wife, two are united to one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So marriage is showing something more than just human love. It's showing something. So again, I say each man must love his wife, he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, today, what I want to do is I'm going to go through, I think, eight or nine just marriage assessment questions for you to think about. And some of you are thinking, oh, man, I don't want to deal with that right now. You don't know what my wife are dealing with. But these are questions that mostly come out of this text, and we'll be talking about some of these over the next few weeks. But it's... Um, one of the things that is, I wouldn't say it's heavy on my heart, but I really, uh, I, I think God's intent for our marriages and being alive and whole and life-giving, and I, like I said, most of us would admit we're far from that, but if, if we could be a church of people who are growing in that aspect of our marriage, I think the overflow of that fountain would be incredibly abundant in ways we don't understand. Because if we don't have that core base kind of understanding of how God's made us relationally and the kind of people we can be with one another, who cares what the world outside, I mean, who, I mean, why should they care about us if we can't figure it out? And it's not like some kind of puzzle to figure out, but what I'm saying is uh, our marriages matter incredibly so. So um, let's jump, we'll just go some of the questions here, all right? First question is this, and this is just one of my favorite questions to ask about marriage and, and uh, Scale of 1 to 10, how would your spouse rate your marriage? You can't ask them, and no, you can't go right on your husband or wife's notes right now. How would they, what, what would they say about your marriage? And frankly, if you're like me, you don't, sometimes you just rather not know, right? And then the other question that I like to ask from this starting off is, is there anything Jesus asked you to do differently to become a more life-giving spouse? Is there anything you've sensed that God's trying to nudge you to do differently? in accordance with how God's wired us as men and women and what marriage is all about. All right. Next question. Personally, what do you want from your marriage? You might think, well, that's kind of an obvious question. I want happiness, uh, companionship. Sometimes you're honest, sex. I mean, what's what I want from my marriage? What's interesting, the way Paul talks about marriage wrapped in the whole book of Ephesians he, you might have noticed the phrase, it's, he says that God designed it so like the husband could present the wife or be a part of his wife becoming holy. 
in an opening part of the book of Ephesians, he talks, these are God's, you, are, you are God's holy people. Now, please understand, when I, when I met Kathy, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to marry Kathy because she'll make me holy. All right? Nobody thinks that way. Um, most people don't, right? Because holy is kind of one of these words that's like, it's almost a negative word in our culture. It's kind of like pious or holy and... You know, the idea if somebody said your marriage will make you more holy, you're like, well, that sounds kind of boring. I don't want that. But you know what the word holy means in Scripture? It's, it's a sense of you're set apart, you're different, and it means, and I'll use the phrase I've used before at Exodus, it means you become alive, awake, and free. That's holy. And Paul says in the opening part of the book, and he repeats it in marriage, you will become holy and without fault. If you're without fault, you're without any self-condemnation. And I know from some talking to some of you, and I know from my marriage, there's a lot of self-condemnation that we experience because we feel like we're failing in our marriage. And but, but Paul says, no, because of what Jesus did, you can be holy, alive, awake, and free, and you can be without fault. And God's designed this institution called marriage, and that's what will happen. That's what can happen in your marriage. Now, you might say, well, I just want to mar- get married to be happy. Okay, that's, if your ultimate goal in marriage is being happy, you won't be. Because that means you're de- defining it as your own sort of happiness. Now, if you are holy and without fault, you will have a happiness and joy that will make the happy you're looking for seem really small. Because what, and I remember somebody challenged me this when I was dating Kathy, and it just kind of, was kind of one of these things like I never thought about that way. He said, marry the person who you believe can help make you become more like Jesus and who you feel like you might have a role in making them more like Jesus. Now, yes, you want to be attracted to the person. Yes, you want to have some emotional connection and chemistry. But when that person said that, I thought that's a really interesting thing to say. That really is what I want from my marriage. I, I want to become more like Jesus. I want my wife to become more like Jesus. And I think in doing so, we would really become closer together. Two pianos tuned to the same tuning fork are in tune with one another, right? So if we both in tune to the same reality, then the closeness and intimacy and unity that we crave happens. All right, next question. Would you, would you characterize your marriage as peaceful? And again, if you're not married, think, think about your relationships. So would people say you're a peace, are you a peaceful person? Because again, over and over in the book of Ephesians, Paul's talking about the peace that God makes between Jew and Gentile, removing the wall of hostility. The peace he brings into marriage, removing the wall of hostility. And peace is not the absence of conflict. Hear me on that. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is kind of this general settleness. The Hebrew word is shalom. It's this sense of well-being, at rest, whole. Because there will be conflict. Now, some of you may think, think in your marriage, well, we have peace simply because we don't talk about the things that would cause us conflict. Well, that's not peace. That's pseudo-peace. And you know that. I don't have to tell you that, but I'm just, some of us get so settled in our pseudo-peace because we've learned how to avoid the landmines of our marriage. And we're all really good at that. I'm good at that. I'm sure many of you are good at that. We avoid those conversations that we know would disrupt the peace, the pseudo-peace that we have. All right? But that's part of what Paul talks about, the peace that can come, the, the wholeness, the liveliness. Next one. Would you characterize your marriage as together? 
The word one or united shows up in the book of Ephesians all over the place, that God's united us with one another. Jew and Gentile are now one. We're one with Christ. Then in marriage, they are one. The two shall become one flesh. Now, oneness doesn't mean you're exactly alike. I remember watching a TV interview years ago of Billy Graham's wife, who's now passed away, and she, they asked her, they said, do you and Billy ever disagree? And she's like, of course we do. Where two people agree about everything, one of them is not needed. Of course we disagree. Of course we have conflict. That doesn't mean we're not one and unified because unified really is more about common mission, common understanding of how we want to live our lives. In this case, common understanding of our lives with Jesus. So, yeah, sometimes my wife and I aren't on the same page about parenting, but we're committed to getting on the same page about parenting. Sometimes we're not on the same page about money. Sometimes we're not on the same page about sex. Sometimes we're not on the same page about what to do on a vacation, but we're committed to getting there. We're committed to having a oneness because we believe that's what God can do in our lives. But if you would say, well, you know, together, close, one, that really wouldn't be our marriage. But again, this is just right now for honesty's sake. All right, next question. How is your sex life? I can still remember when somebody asked me that question, and it was actually it was a church planting assessment. They were assessing whether Kathy and I were ready to plant a church, and they asked me this question in front of Kathy. I won't tell you what I answered, but it was just like, whoa. But it, it kind of highlighted the fact that that part of your life as a married person will expose almost, almost every single crack or fracture in the wholeness and the peace of your relationship. Because what tends to happen in this part of our married lives is uh, manipulation, intimidation, negotiation, which is not God's way. But we figured out how we can get what we want or negotiate for what we want or what we don't want or intimidate or guilt or whatever. But that question alone will show you some issues that maybe are in your marriage that are just kind of steaming there uh, below the surface. Next question. How honest is your marriage? I don't mean like, do you believe your husband when he tells you, you know, he spent $55 at the store, or you believe your wife, she said, you know, she got home at 6 o'clock. I don't mean that kind of honesty. I mean honesty like, uh, are, you, are you keeping any secrets? Is there any kind of deceit? And this last one, which is really a, true of a lot of marriages, I think, are there any taboo topics? Are there any things where you would say of your spouse, well, I just can't bring that up with her. We can't talk about that. We don't, we, we don't go there. And sometimes that becomes so entrenched in our relationships, we just don't go there. And? Well, we just don't go there. So do you think oneness and peace and alive, awake, and free can happen if you don't go there. Now, understand me, when my wife says to me, which she said to me in the last few months, I want to talk about something with you, but I know when I do, last time when I brought it up, it was kind of tense and we had a fight about it, so now I don't know if I want to bring it up again. Do you think I was like, well, please tell me. I mean, I, no, I was kind of like, whoa, whoa, you know, you know. I understand defensiveness. I wrote the book on defensiveness in marriage, okay? 
But sometimes there's necessary times to push through and say, we need to talk about this. And there's going to be tunnel of chaos kind of tension as we do talk about this. But I do believe, we do believe that what God says, the two become one. And there's a way where you can come to unity. And sometimes the way to come into unity without manipulation, negotiation, or intimidation, the way you come to unity will bring you to a place in your marriage you never thought you could yet. But it is intensely difficult. And the difficulty, the dangerousness, the dangerous intimacy there is you have to start thinking about what am I bringing to this relationship that's causing the tension? Not, not what is my spouse bringing, but what am I? Because the dangerousness is then God starts saying, well, maybe you need to look at you and how you're dealing with that situation. Quit trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do in your wife's life. Because I have a whole list of things I wish God would just do in my wife's life, right? We all have those lists. But God's like, no, no, let me deal with you. You have no control over her or your husband, whichever you're talking about. But I, God will say, I can deal, let me deal with you. Because over in the, in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about getting rid of anger and rage and being patient and kind. And that's before he even talks about marriage. That's just the kind of qualities we can have with the Spirit of God. And so again, if you're not married, hey, Rage, bitterness, patience, kindness, those are the qualities of anybody filled with the Holy Spirit, which becomes the essential component of marriage. But are there any issues that you would say, yeah, we probably need to talk about that sometime? Next one. Think of a time recently when you felt contempt for your spouse and you're like, oh, I don't feel contempt for my spouse. And I'm like, liar. <laughs> Contempt is that emotion, and I have my little sign here. Contempt is that emotion. I've had this street sign for years. Contempt is that emotion we feel towards somebody that's kind of like when you roll your eyes externally or internally, or you're kind of like, she always does that. Why doesn't she put that away? Or why doesn't he clean that up? He does that every single Thursday night. Drives me crazy. It's that spirit, it's a spirit of judgmentalism. I'm not saying there's conversation you might have, you know, if your husband's always spending money you don't have or vice versa. There's conversations. But I'm talking about this, the tone of your heart and your spirit when you're like, ah, drives me crazy. So when's the last time that happened? And then how did it resolve? Did you even talk about it or does it just kind of... Is it underneath the surface kind of simmer? Is it like a coal that's just burning down there? There was a time, this, this was in a couple weeks, there was a couple weeks ago, where I, I, I don't know what it was, but there was something that was irritating me about my wife. And, uh, and again, the fact that I can't remember what it was tells me that it wasn't the issue, it was me being an irritable, it was my heart being irritable. And I remember, I can't, I can't remember what it was, and I can't remember what my wife did after that, because she did something kind for me, like 10 minutes later, when I had this feeling of, uh, she always does that, she doesn't like me, she's not for me, she's against me, she's not a team player. And then 10 minutes later, she does something kind for me. I can't, I can't remember all it was, but I remember in my, up, in my, up in the room later on, and I said, God, help me. I, I don't, I don't want to have these contemptuous feelings toward my wife. I don't want to be that way toward her. And here she does something kind for me, and then it kind of messes me up because I was kind of enjoying my anger. I was kind of feeling enlivened. But, uh, yeah, yeah, poor me, right? I, 
I hear a husband's laughing because you know what I'm talking about, right? But I remember thinking, and I, and I literally said, God, help me, because I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get past this. I don't know how to get past this t- trivial, petty kind of irritations that we sometimes will call pet peeves and we laugh at it, but, but then it becomes kind of this deeper entrenched kind of contempt, kind of like, ugh. Every divorce, at the root of every divorce is contempt. It starts somewhere with a seed of contempt that goes undealt with and unripped out of the soil. Every divorce starts with contempt. Every affair starts with contempt for the other. Contempt is the source of most problems in our marriages. Contempt is the source of most problems in our human relationships. So again, if you're not married, if you find yourself quickly to mentally judge people... (laughs) That's, the, that's not going to go away when you get married. Going down the aisle changes nothing, changes nothing in your heart. So be aware of those. How, do you, how can you be contempt-free? Next question. How does your pace of life affect your marriage? One of the street signs, my two street signs that I think are the keys for me have been kind of a key to spiritual life. Are you living your life not in a hurry? Because when I'm in a hurry... Do you think I treat my wife, A, more lovingly or less lovingly? When I'm in a hurry, do you think I'm kind to my wife or a little more irritable to my wife? When I'm in a hurry, do you think I'm sensitive to what's going on with she's wrestling through or thinking about or, or have overburdened by? Or do you think I kind of brush right through that? I guarantee you, if you're living your life in a hurry as a family... As a man or as a woman or as a married couple, you will be missing opportunities for growing in unity and peace because your life is way too fast. And you have no chance to hear from the Spirit of God about what's going on in your marriage or spouse. You just hope it takes care of itself. Last two questions, then we'll be... This is just a fill in the blank. What would your marriage be like if you didn't have to struggle with blank anymore? And you can't say him or her, all right? That's not a fair question. That's not a fair way to answer. And maybe we don't have to struggle anymore with sexual stress or sexual tension or who's, who's right about this issue or about how we parent our kids or whatever, Every one of you who are married can fill something in the blank. If you're not married, you could fill something in the blank that just says, what would your life be like if you didn't have to struggle anymore with blank? Because we all have struggles with something that mess up human relationships. Okay, now at this point, after all, after, what, five or six, seven, eight questions, uh, most of you are probably really feeling really confident and, and enlivened about your marriage. But you, you're not. If you're like me, you're like, no, i just kind of been reminded of... Yeah, we got to deal with that, deal with that, deal with that. Whoopee, I'm married. Yeah, woo, you know. But then here's this next, the next slide, which is, is the undergirding thing that Paul talks about. Is it possible to have a supernatural marriage? Now, I don't mean supernatural like uh, superhero. I mean supernatural like what's interesting before Paul opened up this whole montage about marriage in the last part of Ephesians 5 and, you know, I told you that one overarching phrase was submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he talks about husband and wives. Before that phrase, he says, let yourself be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. 
that seems to be the umbrella over the umbrella over the marriage. Are you willing to let yourself hear and be filled with what the Holy Spirit wants you to do? Because if your husband, if you and your spouse are both looking to let the Holy Spirit fill you, again, two instruments tuned to the same tuning fork have an incredible amount of unity and harmony. So are you willing to listen to the Spirit of God about that issue in your marriage? Are you willing to admit maybe you're wrong and maybe the Holy Spirit has a different idea of how he wants that to go about, but you just haven't been willing to talk to him about that? And again, I, I started off about the argument my wife and had about, we had about uh, who was playing the music, who was going to be a DJ at our reception. And I still remember, I was really kind of, I was, I was stubborn. And I remember th- I wanted A, she wanted B, and I was just kind of tired of her making decisions. So I was, and I was kind of being passive aggressive, which I'm really good at that too. So, and I was, just, I remember just sitting there and she was so mad she left the room. And I was just kind of so happy that she had left because I thought, it's, I feel bad for her because she's angry and she's sinning and, and it was kind of smug. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, can I, can I uh, say something to you? And I remember saying, well, uh, say something to her. She, she needs it. You know, I, deflection. I'm good. I handle that well. And it was, it was in a matter of seconds where the Holy Spirit was kind of like pounding on the top of my trash can lid. No, I'm talking to you. And I, I remember... And I've done this many times since. Even the last few weeks, there was a time where I had my physical posture. I was like, okay, what do I need to hear? And then the Holy Spirit showed me things about me in the situation that didn't make me look very good. And that was very, that's, that's where the danger comes in. Because the Holy Spirit will show you things about you. Not about them, but about you. That will unlock some issues in your own heart so you can be the spouse that they need, the husband or wife they need. We've, we go to this next slide because this is what we did. I talked about this passage last week. And I'm going to encourage those of you who are married and those of you who are not to both. If you're married, I want you to pr- I'm going to ask you if over the next week you would pray for your spouse, this prayer. If you're not married, I want you to pick somebody else that maybe have a hard time getting along with. That'll be good practice for marriage. I keep looking over here, but you know, it'll be good practice for marriage. Praying for somebody you don't get along with all the time, all right? Supernatural, you're asking God to supernaturally do something in the life of the other that will change your marriage. This is what Paul prays for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, and I mean, I'll fill in the blank with my wife's name to give you a sense of what I'm, what I'm asking you to do. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, God, that you will empower Kathy with inner strength through his, your spirit. Jesus, will you make your home in her heart as she trusts in you? May her roots go down into your love and keep her strong. And may she have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. Your love is for her, Jesus. May Kathy experience your love, Jesus, though it's too great to understand fully. Next one. Then Kathy will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power of God that comes from you. 
Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I'm just going to challenge this. Ephesians chapter 3, you can find it with, with the verses. Sometime this week or multiple times this week, pray for your spouse that way. Pray for somebody you don't get along with that way. I guarantee it will change how you think about things. What you're saying is, God, there's many things I'd love to give you a shopping list, God, of things I want you to change in my spouse. But I'm asking more than anything else, God, I want them to experience your love and the fullness of life and power that you can. And if that's how you change them, God, that's what I want more than anything else. I don't care how often she changes her toothbrush. I don't care how she puts silver in the dishwasher. I don't care if he puts his clothes away anymore. But if he becomes that kind of person or she becomes that kind of person, God, I will be eternally grateful. And if I can become that kind of person and we can have that kind of marriage, you will have a marriage that will not just, we don't do marriage to get admired by people, but you have an, a marriage that will be, literally will be as a marriage, a fountain of living water, giving life, bubbling over to other people. So would you, I'm going to ask you, would you, would you? Commit at least once this week, look up this passage in chapter 3 and pray for your spouse in that way. And let me pray. God, we, uh, we love the fact that you don't leave us alone. And we love the fact that you don't leave us alone because you have way more in store for us than we've ever imagined. You have way more joy. You have way more peace. You have way more hope. You have way more power that you have to fill inside of us than we've ever imagined we could be. We've never imagined being that alive and that full of your life. But God, that's what you want to do, not just for us as individuals, but you want that for our marriages. You want our marriages to be incredibly life-giving, powerful, and full of wow that comes from you. That's the kind of people we want to be. So God, would you break through the hardness of my heart and the hardness of all my brothers and sisters' hearts and those ways in which we have kept off limits to you. And would you break through those areas and bring life and healing and hope and peace. Um, all because of Jesus and because of his great work for us. And we ask this all in his name. Amen. We finish every week with uh, communion.